Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. All right, well, Father, we just come before you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that it's going to speak to us today. We ask that you change us by it. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. So, yeah, today I just want to talk to you for a few minutes um, just about the five pillars of growth. Five pillars of growth. And it's something that um, the Lord's been dealing with me about, something that I'm always working on, and I think we should all be working on growing in God, amen, and growing in relationships. And so the five pillars of growth... Um, I, received, I got a book when I was down at the, the OBFF conference um, called uh, You Can't Beat a River into Submission by Harrison Mungal. And he is one of, uh, uh, he's an, another OBFF leader that we he had a little book. And so I took these five pillars and I built a sermon out of it. And I think these five pillars are important that we have to have um, in our lives. So I want you to say the five pillars of growth will help me go to where God's called me to go. Amen. So that first pillar... Uh, that we're going to talk about is the pillar of vision. God wants us to be a people of vision. What is vision? Vision is the ability to, dis- uh, the ability to see a possible future. It's whenever you're able to look forward and you can say, this is where I want to go to. I can see a future that looks different than my life looks now. And we should have a vision. Uh, we talk about vision for local churches, we, but there's also a need to have a vision for your family. You should have a vision for your, for your finances, for your future. You should have a vision for your marriage. How many know that's important? You have to look forward and say, I see, I see myself still in love with this person, you know, on the rocking chair, on the porch, having tea. So it's important that we have a vision for our marriage, right? We should have a vision for our children, for the next generation. So vision is important. It's the ability to see a possible future. The Bible says... That without a vision, the people perish. That word perish means they cast off restraint, they become apathetic, they become lethargic. And if we don't have vision, what happens is we become floaters instead of swimmers. Now, I don't know about you guys, but, uh, you know, we go to, uh, uh, like, water parks. We like vacations. We like water parks. And my wife, she doesn't like roller coasters, so when we go to Wonderland, we stay in the water park for a lot of the time, right? I escape out, and I go on the good rides, but, but for the most part, and there's this thing called the Lazy River. How many know the Lazy River? Like, I love the Lazy River. You just get on your tube, and you float around. And you go with the current. How many have been on the lazy river? Come on. And you just sit there. And, and actually, I like to shut my eyes and just kind of float around and just flow with the stream, right? And, and this, is, this is what happens if we don't have a, a vision. We just end up going with the flow. We go with the situations that are around us, right? The situations that are happening in our lives, in our finances, uh, with our families, we're just floating around, just, you know, and, and then what we do is we start to pray. God, I want you, I want you to change a situation. God, I want you to come and intervene in my life. I want you to make my marriage better. I want you to, you know, do this in my life and do that in my life. But, but God, wa- that's good, but God wants us to do something. He wants us to jump out of the tube and swim against the current. Amen. God wants us to move. He wants us to. Uh, he wants us to, uh, to 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 press against situations to affect change in our worlds, right? And and sometimes it's okay to float, but but there's a time when we have to get out of the tube and start to swim against the situation, to go against the current, and have a vision for a better tomorrow. All right. And so um, 
And the danger is, uh, if we focus on the negative too much and not the positive, um, you know, we, we don't have a good picture of the future, right? How many know that we're living in kind of dark times? How many, how many realize that? We're going to look at a passage of Scripture um, that I've quoted here just a few weeks ago. It's 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 to 4. And uh, Paul says to Timothy, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. How many know we're living in the last days? Okay? For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Next verse. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. Okay? They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Now, when we start looking at all this, we can get depressed. Right? I say, man, I don't see a positive future here. But look what the next verse says here. I don't have it looked up here, but it actually says that, um, that um, these people, right, um, they have denied the power of God, which would, would bring godliness in their lives. And the Bible says, okay, they act religious. This is in the New Living Translation. They act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So this does not apply to us. In a sense, how many here? How many here have denied the power of God in your life? Let me see your hands. Okay, you you deny my wife. We have to pray for you, honey. No, no. I mean, like, how many here? I want you to say, I believe in the power of God that works from within me to bring change in my life. All right. And so, what happens is when churches and denominations have rejected the power of the Holy Spirit that changes us, guess what happens? All of these things begin to come in selfishness and, you know, the wrong motives and and disobedience, all these things. We do not deny the power of God. Say, I don't deny the power of God. I need help. I make mistakes. But my trust is in the power of God. Now, how many know that we're living in a generation right now? where it's all about superpowers, right? Everyone's about the supernatural. You look at the shows, some of the shows, the series on Netflix and the movies, I don't have to name them all, but there's a drawing towards the supernatural. So why in the world, which is a counterfeit, why in the world would the church pull away from the supernatural? Because there's something in all of us that we're supernatural beings, we're spirit beings, and we're attracted to the supernatural, Amen. And so I had a shirt made up for me. Here, I'm going to show it to you. Actually, hold on a second. I like this shirt. So I have a shirt here. And I, was, if, I don't know if you can all see it in the back, but we, we have the Avengers. How many know the Avengers, right? And then Jesus is sitting here in the middle, and he is saying, this is how I save the world. And they're all intently listening in. Because I don't know about you, but I, I serve a supernatural God. I have a Jesus that delivered me out of drug addiction, healed me from mental depression, brought, brought sanity to me. I've seen miracles. I've seen people healed. How many have seen miracles? We've got to start having services where we have people get up and tell testimony of how they've been healed. We had a guy come in here, actually, uh, about five years ago, and we had a healing service. We were praying for the sick. And this guy, his name is Alan. He's going to come give his testimony. I haven't seen him for like five years, but to say hi a few times. And I ran into him. I said, hey, man. I said, how are you doing since we prayed for you? Now, what happened was five years ago, he came down here, and I was going along praying for people. And I got to Alan. I said, what do you want from God? He said, I want a new heart. So I'm thinking, okay, he, he wants to get closer to God. I, I didn't realize that he, he, he was on an eight-year waiting list to get a new pumping heart because his heart was damaged. And so I prayed for him. 
And the next day, a week later, he came and he said, Pastor, I went to the doctor. They examined me. They said, you have the heart of a 20-year-old. We don't know what happened. And they took him off the waiting list. And so I ran into him last week and I said, hey, man, I said, uh, how's your heart? Because my heart is excellent. It's still perfect. The rest of me is falling apart, but my heart's great. <laughs> right? And um, so I really want to write a book of, of testimonies of ordinary Christians like us who have had an encounter with the supernatural Jesus who has power. How many believe? Say, I believe, I believe. in the power of God, power of God. that trans- transforms me from the inside out. Amen? And so God wants us to be that kind of people. And so when we realize that God's power is in us, then we can begin to have a vision for a future that has to do with transforming those around us. The rest of the world might go to hell in a handbasket and they might decide to go down this road that we just read about, but we in our households, we're going to serve God. We're going to go and we're going to make, it, we're going to make a change. We're going, to, we're going to bring the presence of God. We're going to bring revival to Quinty. We're going to see people loved, cherished, and changed by the power of God. Yeah. Amen? So that's the future that we see, and we have to have faith that God will do it. So say, I need a vision. I need a vision. Okay? And so the other thing, once we have a vision, in order to accomplish the vision, you need to have specific goals to reach your vision. You have to have specific goals. Say specific goals. All right? You have to have short-term goals, and you have to have long-term goals. Very important. Because if you just have a vision, then you're uh, without any goals put in place, you're just a daydreamer, right? And I've done that in the past. I have this big vision of where I want to be, what I want to do, but then you're just floating around in your, the lazy river, right? You've got, you got to make a decision that I'm going to set some specific goals to change my situation. All right? So first I need a vision. Now I need specific goals. Now the third thing you need is you need objectives. In other words, you've got to be willing to look at your purpose and your aims. You have to explore your intentions, the reasons and aspirations that you're doing what you're doing, right? Why? Because if you don't have a clear understanding of what your objectives are, what happens is when pressure comes, right, you're going to fall off course. You have to know why you're doing what you're doing, okay? One of the reasons we're going to two services, some of you look around, you say there's empty seats in here, I understand that. But what happens is for the last five years, we've gone to about 140 people, 150 people to 120. We fluctuate back and forth and back and forth. And all the stats are saying now that you can't grow past 80% because new people coming in feel it's too congested, there's no place. So as soon as we go to two services, I believe within six months, we're going to hit past 200 people. I just believe it's going to happen. Amen? So that's why we're doing what we're doing. So when people come and say, I don't really feel like I want it. Well, we're doing this. Why? Not for ourselves, because we want to reach our community, right? So that's our objective. Okay? So we have to have a vision. We have to set specific goals. We have to know what our objectives are. And then, once we do that, we have to have the planning stage. Say the planning stage. And that's when we begin to plan. We begin to, we begin to plan how we're going to do. Specific plans will increase your chances to accomplish your vision. Okay, And we can't reach our vision until our plans are put forth. Now, if your vision is to build a house, the planning stage will include what kind of house, the timing that you want to build a house, who is the builder, etc., etc., etc. So you begin to plan out the details of building your house. So... The fourth one is the planning stage. And the fifth pillar, say the fifth pillar, is strategizing. 
So strategizing is the ability to tweak your plans when you encounter obstacles, okay? It's the ability to see other pathways to the vision when setbacks come against you. So we, we need to be willing to strategize to come off of, uh, to, go, to find another way around a problem when a problem arises called strategy. And so if you have these five pillars in place, you can change your situation, right? And, and so many times as Christians, we just, we pray, we pray, we pray, but God wants us to put feet to our prayers. He wants us to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to have a vision, begin to have, uh, begin to set goals, begin to plan, begin to strategize, and say, we're not going to be where we are today, because through prayer and putting feet to my prayers, I'm going to change my situation by the grace of God. Can I hear an amen? amen? All right? So that's what God has called us to do. All right, let's stand up for a second. All right, just going to keep everybody awake. I want you to say with me, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to allow you, Holy Spirit, to transform me. But forgive me, Lord, because I've made you the doer. And you're supposed to be the helper. So, God, I'm asking you right now to help me to get this thing right. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, you may be seated. Okay, let's look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. We did a whole series on Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a really cool guy. We did a series on him back in 2015. And so what I want to do is just take a few minutes to kind of look at these five pillars throughout the life of Nehemiah or for this portion of his life when he gets a vision. It says in um, Nehemiah chapter 1 uh, or verse 2. Actually, I'm going to start in chapter 1, just going to summarize what's happening here. Nehemiah realizes there's a problem, okay, and he takes it to heart, okay? Uh, Jerusalem, his home of his ancestors, is in ruins because the walls were destroyed. And he does what most of us uh, do. He, he hears the testimony of what's happening in Jerusalem. His heart is broken. He takes it personally. He says, i got to do something about this. So he cries out about the problem. How many know we do that? We cry out to God. We say, well, there's a problem. We cry out to God about it. And we pray and we fast about the problem, that he did that as well. And then we remind God of his word on the matter. God, your word says this. How come this is what's happening? And this is what Nehemiah is doing. He's crying out. He's praying. He's fasting. He's reminding God of his word on the matter. And if we're honest, most of the time we just float around in the problem, right? Okay, God, help us. We pray. And then we get in our raft. We float around the lazy river and waiting for God to come do a miracle. But, but Nehemiah does not do that. Nehemiah prays. Nehemiah does all these three things. But then let's see what he does in uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. It says here, uh, early in the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the uh, uh, the uh, 20th year of King, I can't, Art, Art, what is it? Thank you very much, his reign. I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. Next verse. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And then I was terrified, next verse. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors were buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? Verse 4. The king said, well, how can I help you uh, with a prayer to the God of heaven? Now, so what's happening here um, is, is he's, he's, he's about to give his vision here. Verse 4. The king asks, how can I help you with the prayer to God of heaven? Do you have verse 5 there? I got it here. Uh, with the prayer of God of heaven, I replied, If it pleases the king, and if you are not pleased with me, your servant, 
please send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And so what he's doing is he's taking it upon himself. He has a vision, and he says, I want to get, I want to be part of fixing the problem. Amen? You see that? He has his vision to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And we have to have a vision in our hearts to rebuild the walls that are broken down in our lives. So maybe your marriage is breaking down. You need to have a vision, and you got to go before God, and you got to take it upon yourself to not just pray for your marriage, but let's, let's have a vision for the marriage. Let's set some goals. Let's begin to work on that. How many hear what I'm saying? Yes. It might be family situations. It might be you, you know, you're sick and tired of being broke and not having money. Well, maybe you need to sit down in the presence of God and say, God, you've called me to prosper and be in health, and you've called me to leave an inheritance for my children's children. Now, I'm going to begin to believe you and strategize and have a plan so that in five years from now, I'm no longer in the red. How many hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Instead of just floating around the lazy river. It's so comfortable. But let's do something about it. All right? So he has a vision. Say, Nehemiah has a vision. He's saying, the king, send me, let me go. The king says, you can go. Now, verse 7, he starts to have a plan. Let's see what the plan is. Or he begins to set goals. I also say to the king, if it pleases the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors in the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through the territories on my way to Judah. He realizes that he has to set some goals. What would be worse if he crosses the river of Euphrates and suddenly... There's a king standing there saying, you shall not pass. That's not a good situation. He, he's got to make sure he can get to the place he's got to go. So he says, I need a letter to all the governors, all the leaders, so that they'll let me pass. And if it pleases a king, let a letter be addressed also to the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber, because I'll need to make beams for gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted the requests, okay? And so we see that he begins to set goals. He begins to plan so that he can get to the place he needs to go. And it's so important that we set goals. It's so important that we look at our situations and say, I have a vision, now how am I going to get there? What are some of the obstacles that are going to rise up? Because I have to face those obstacles and I have to know to get to my vision I have to plan and I have to know the goals I have to get there. How many hear what I'm saying this morning? Now here, he goes across, he starts his journey, and I'm summarizing a lot of this because you have to read it on your own. But in verse 10, look what happens. But when Sanballat and Hornet, the Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard, I have such a hard time with these names, uh, heard, heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel, okay? I want to say this. Whenever you take a stand to effect change, somebody's always going to be displeased. You know what? what are you doing, man? Get back in your floaty. You're not supposed to stand up in the lazy river. Get back in your tube. How many have heard that? Oh, I just want to swim around and pull my kids' feet, and they yell at me. Get back in your tube, right? But people will tell you. You'll always have people coming and telling you, listen, you, you, they're displeased. You know, you can't do this. You, you can't, you can't uh, have a better situation in, in your workplace. You can't have a better marriage. You can't have a nice home. You can't do these things. No, just, just float down the stream like the rest of us. But, but, the, but, but you have to make a decision that you're going to change your situation. You're going to change your future. You're going to change your spiritual stances. You're going to change your financial situations because the enemy of our soul will always oppose us 
And, you, and when he opposes us, guess what you need to know? You need to know your objectives. Why did I begin this journey in the first place? Am I, am I going to let someone disrail me from the track I'm on, uh, you know, to be politically correct or keep somebody happy? or what? You know what I'm saying? We have to have specific goals. So when our objectives are challenged, we can stand strong. Say with me, the enemy will always oppose me when I try to go against the stream. This is what's happening. Let's go to verse 11 to 15. 11 to 15. Do you want to read for me, honey? So I arrived in Jerusalem three days, three days later. I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. So, so what happened was... Um, God put plans in Nehemiah's heart, but he didn't just share it with anybody. He said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to survey the land. I'm going to go, I'm going to look at the situation. I'm going to do my research. And, you know, the Bible says to be sober and be focused and do your research and look at your situation from all the different angles and, and make a decision that uh, begin to plan with wisdom. You know, the other day, um, I pulled up at a park somewhere with my, my minivan. I pulled up, I have a black 2009 minivan and, uh, it's new to me. I like it. So anyway, I pull up, and I get out, and I noticed when I bought the van, I had a tiny little rust spot on the back bumper, right, on the wheel well. And so I'm thinking I was going to talk to Scotty, maybe say, how do I fix this? I'm going to kind of like just buff it up and paint it, right? Just a little rust spot. And so that was, I bought the van a year ago. So anyway, I get out of the van. I go off. I'm talking to some lady about this club, that, and there's a whole bunch of people there. So I finish talking to this lady, and I turn around, I go back, and I'm looking at my black wheel well of my van, and it's rusted apart, like the rust is, the paint's peeling off, there's rust coming through, it's chipping away. So I'm like, man, this got really bad in a year. I didn't even, how did I not notice this? So I reach down and I start playing with the bumper. A piece of the bumper comes off of my hand. Not the bumper, but the, the wheel well comes off. I'm like, this is awful. I go around the other side and I'm poking it and there's rust spots. And, and I'm like, this is bad. Like, it's really bad. So I go to get in my van and realize it's not my van. It's somebody else's van. <laughs> I'm like... What do I do? Like, do I, do I go and, like, I just pulled the bumper off, you know, so I'm like, I did a tuck and roll, you know, like, and someone had pulled up right behind me. I had no idea, so I, then I got in my van, and I was like, thank you, Jesus. It's not that bad, and I drove off, and I, I didn't know what to do. Um, so you have to survey the situation soberly, okay? Really take the time to really pay attention to the details. I didn't do that. That was awful. So let's go to verse uh, 16 here. So after he did, he surveyed the land, he checked everything out on his own. It says, the city officials did not know that I'd been out there or what I was doing for. I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Okay, And then I told them about how the gracious hand of God was upon me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the walls. So they began the good work. And so see what happened was people bought into the vision, right? They bought in because he had the plan set forth. He had goals set. And they came together and they began to work together to build the planning system for how they were going to rebuild the wall. Right? This is what happens if we read on. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, he calls the city officials together. He casts the vision. The people catch the vision. But even though the people catch the vision, when you have a vision, 
there'll still always be other people that are against you. Verse 19, let's read verse 19. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of their plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they said? And so in the same way, the, the enemies are going to come, and they're going to they're scoff at you, and they're going to say, this is foolishness. But guess what? If God's given you a vision, you can fulfill it. Amen? I think it's time to start responding the way Nehemiah responded to the enemies. Don't you think? Do you want to see how he responded? Let's look at how he responded in verse 20. I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. The God of heaven will help us succeed in the plans that we set forth. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share, no legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. And I think it's time for the church to declare to the world system that they have no legal right or claim to our children, to our families, that we're part of another kingdom. Amen? There are many minority groups out there that are pushing their agenda and trying to strip away biblical moral ideas and values. They're trying to politically pass bills to try to legislate morality that's different than what we believe. And it's time that the church just stands up and says, you know what? This is the way we're going. We're part of the kingdom of God, and we're going to stand for righteousness. That's it. Amen? And it's time for us to say you have no legal right. You're not part of the kingdom of God. We love you, but we're not going to compromise our convictions. So what happens then in, in Nehemiah chapter 3, the whole chapter, which I'm not going to get into, the people have caught the vision, and the plan is established, and they get busy working together to affect change. And they begin to build the wall. They begin to establish the vision, okay? And then we see in uh, chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, we see these guys lift their ugly heads again. Look at this. Sambalat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage, and he mocked the Jews. And you know, when we stand for righteousness, people that don't believe in righteousness are going to fly into a rage. And we have to be okay with that, guys, because Jesus said that if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Right? For a student is not above his master. And so when we stand for truth, some people are going to fly into a rage, and we just got to be okay with that. We just got to you know what? We love you, but we're standing for truth. How many hear what I'm saying? And we don't compromise. We don't change our values. We don't change our stances to kind of, we, we just want people to kind of be, you know, feel welcome. So we're just going to like lay out all of our, our value. You know, we can't do that. We need to be willing to say, this is what God has said. We're going to obey it. We're going to fulfill what God's called us to do. And if you want to get on board, welcome. But if you can't, that's fine. Amen. And so we have to be a church that is aware of this. Now let's go on to, um, Verse 2 there, yeah. So saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? And you know what? That can be the attitude against the church. We're not poor, we're not feeble, we're filled with the Holy Ghost, and we're very threatening to the world system. And that's why they're freaking out. Do they think that they can build a wall in a single day by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something of stones from rubble, uh, rubbish heap and charred ones at that. And so Tobiah the Amorite, who was standing beside him, remarked that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked across the top of it. So they're mocking, they're making fun of it. And I want to say that if that happens to us as we're planning vision, as we're planning our vision and our future, we're in good company with the prophets. Say, I'm in good company with the prophets. And so here's the thing. Let's read on. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7 to 8. And I'm just jumping over a bunch of stuff. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs, 
the Amorites and the Ashadites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious, right? And when things start to change, there's fury that starts to fly out from certain people, okay? They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion, okay? So here's the thing. What did Nehemiah do? What was, what was the fourth pillar? Do you guys remember? Strategize. So Nehemiah, had a, he had a plan, but now you have to strategize. You need to be willing to, be willing to when, when obs, obstacles come, be willing to find another pathway around it to the, to the vision, right? So let's see what he did. Verse 4, verse 14 to 18. Then, as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who has, has great and glorious and fights our, for our brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when the enemy heard that um, we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to work on the wall. But from then on, say from then on, only half my men worked while the others stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on with their work with one hand supporting the load and with the other hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeters stayed with me to sound the alarm. And I want to say this here. They were willing to, listen, we're going to strategize. We weren't expecting people to want to destroy us as we were trying to go forward. So now we're going to fight in prayer on one hand, and we're going to keep working on the other hand. And that's what we have to do as a church. Amen? We need to be willing to pray, and we've got to be willing to strategize and do something. Amen? Um. But one of the things is when we have a vision and things get tough, instead of fighting the fight in prayer, um, people are tempted to sell out those who are closest to them. They begin to sell out, well, I just got to get my vision done. I just got to get to where God wants me. So we begin to hurt people in the process. How many know that's not a good thing? If God gives you a vision, he wants you to work with people, not against them, right? And um, in order to have your vision come to pass, you don't need to cause oppression, I'm going to close in a few minutes here. In Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1 to 5, I'm going to have Camilla come and read this for me, if you don't mind. I want to, I want to show you what was happening now because they were getting frustrated. How, would you be frustrated if you had to work with one hand and fight with the other? And the people were getting frustrated. So I want you to read this, uh, the next few verses. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we're helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. And so what happened was, um, Nehemiah was really, really upset about that. I don't have the verse, but it's, I think it's, um, when I heard their complaints, this is verse 5, I was very angry. 
After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials, and I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when you're borrowing money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. So Nehemiah said, you know what? We can have a vision. We want to build this wall. We want to fix the problems. But we're not going to hurt our relatives. We're not going to hurt the body of Christ. We're, not going, to, we're going to work together. We're not going to work against people. How many know people and relationships are more important than vision? And he dealt with this situation. All right? And so he talked to them. And look what the response was in Nehemiah 5.12. The nobles replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. And then I called the priests and made the nobles and the officials swear to do what they had promised. A God-birthed vision should never oppress his people. Amen? And in fact, if you're going to sit down and have a, a vision and seek God for a vision for your family, for example, you can sit down, get the, core, get, the, get the main vision, then sit down and plan with your family. Let them be part of the process of planning. How are you going to move forward as a family into a better future? Amen? It's not an oppressive thing. It's a strategy thing. And so let's see what the result of all this was in Nehemiah chapter 6. Verse 15 to 16, it says, So on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Amen? With the help. Say, with the help. help. Our God. So God has created us for good works, and he's there to help us. But we need to spend some time with the Lord, even this week, and say, God, hey, if I'm floating down the the lazy river a little bit, show me which areas of my life need vision, which areas of my my life need a little bit of a strategy. And God will begin to speak to you, and, and you'll begin to chart out so that you won't be in the same place in five years than you are today. Amen? And so I wanted to encourage you with that. I have a PowerPoint. I just thought it would be really neat to look at some visionaries and what they had to say uh, concerning vision. Many of life's failures, failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave, gave up. That's Thomas Edison. I've not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Amen? <laughs> See, it's all, it's all the way you perceive it, right? The people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. That's Steve Jobs. I'm convinced that about half of what separates the successful entrepreneurs from the non-successful ones is pure perseverance. Don't find fault. Find a remedy. Anybody can complain, Henry Ford. If I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Amen? What does God want? Those who walk with God always reach their destination. What one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. John Wesley. Before anything else, preparation is the key to success. Alexander Graham Bell. Don't follow the crowd. Let the crowd follow you. Margaret Thatcher. She was a prime minister for almost 12 years of Britain, Great Britain. Amen? Amen. So we can learn. Like it's, it's about setting goals, having a vision from God, setting goals, and bringing change. One of the things, uh, like we were talking with the eldership team, we had an eldership meeting this week. And we were talking about how important marriage is, even to us. And we're strong believers that our marriages need a top-up. How many know when your car, if you don't bring it for a regular oil change, and you don't change, you know, you don't, you know, don't, don't do a checkup on your car, guess what? It breaks down a lot faster, right? 
And so it's really good. Like my wife and I, will, we're planning in probably September to go away for some more like a marriage counseling retreat thing. Not because there's problems as much, but just to say we want to work on any areas we have so that we can grow. So that, you know, 20 years from now, we're sitting on the rocking chair having a great conversation instead of throwing, you know, marshmallows at each other or something, right? <laughs> we want to have a good marriage, right? And so you have to work on your marriage. You've got to work on your kids. You've got to work on your relationships. And you have to have a plan. Amen? Awesome. Why don't we stand? If we can get David, that'd be great. How many received something today? Summarizing Nehemiah was very tough. (laughs) But I hope you guys got something from that. So, Father, we come before you today. If you're here in this place and you're saying, I just want to make a decision today to become a better planner, to begin to seek God for vision in my life. I'm not having an altar call, but I just want to see a show of hands. I see your hands and say, I just want to become better at that. And I'm, I'm asking you, God, to meet me in that. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, that you will meet us in this place, God, so that we can have a better future, God. We're going to begin to plan and strategize and begin to have vision for where you want to take us, God. And when we do that, your word says, a man plans his ways in his heart, and the Lord directs his steps. So help us to plan, and then we'll trust you to direct. And all God's people said? Amen. If you're in this place today and you don't know Jesus, he's not the Lord of your life, and you'd like to receive him as your Savior, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to take a few minutes to give an opportunity for people to come into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you, just lift up your hand. I'm going to pray with you right here. Have a quick prayer. Ask God to come. I see your hand. Anybody else? see your hand as well. Let's just pray together. Say, Heavenly Father. Thank you for sending Jesus to die. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to be our counselor and comforter. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Change my heart. Transform me. Take me out of the kingdom of darkness and put me in the kingdom of your dear son. In Jesus' name. Amen. And if you said that prayer, a few hands went up. If you said that prayer, the Bible says he's, he'll meet you there. Amen. That if you call upon the name of the Lord, if you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.